Welcome to Women Volunteers, a GFWC NC podcast where we talk with women across North Carolina who volunteer their time in support of community improvement. We'll find out how they got started, how they manage these projects, and the impact of their volunteer actions. Hello and welcome. For those of you who frequent our podcast, you may notice the voice you're hearing sounds a little different today, and it is. I am Kim Fulcher, the President-Elect of the General Federation of Women's Clubs of North Carolina, and I'm serving as host for today's sit-down with our special guest, the very one and only Juanita Martin Bryant. Ms. Bryant is the past president of the North Carolina General Federation of Women's Clubs, serving from 1968 to 1970, and a past international president of the General Federation of Women's Clubs, serving from 1982 to 1984. She has led a fascinating life with countless accomplishments and honors bestowed upon her over the years. Allow me to share a few highlights. Juanita served as Executive Director of the North Carolina Council for Women. She served as the Development Director for the YWC of Wake County. She led the effort that culminated the Salute to the Flag of North Carolina being adopted in 2007 by the North Carolina General Assembly. She received many distinguished awards as both a citizen and in her employment and she was honored by Women in C, which named its fellowship program for her. Miss Bryant was married to her husband, Frank, and have three successful children, Debbie, Jay, and Steve. She loved to spend time between her family's farm in Boonville and her residence in Raleigh, both of which are in North Carolina. Welcome, Juanita, and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and to share with us your experiences and accomplishments leading up to and while you were GFWC International President. Juanita, let's go back a little bit and find out how you got started. Those of us involved in women's clubs have different stories of how we got involved. I would love for you to share with us what it was that led you to become involved in the women's club. Thank you, Kim. And uh, I am glad that we are doing this because it gave me the opportunity to reflect on a lot of things uh, as I moved up through the ranks in the Federation of Women's Clubs. I was, of course, raised in Winston-Salem, and I was familiar with the Women's Club movement, not only the uh, Winston-Salem Women's Club, but the Junior Women's Club. And But Frank was in the Army the first two years that we were married, and uh, he was drafted in the Korean conflict. And so after he was discharged, we moved to the farm, in to his farm in Boonville. And, uh, and my club was started really in the local woman's club in 1953. And I did not join as a charter member, but uh, it was started in March of that year. And, uh, and I did not join as a charter member, but I did join the club in September of that year. And I pretty soon found out that, uh, that the Federation, with the different levels of work that they did, it not only uh, the local club, but uh, also working on the district and the southeastern region and, uh, and the state federation and GFWC, that I learned to 
uh, appreciate the different uh, levels of work that the Federation did. So I immediately looked at the structure and was able to learn about that and how you had the opportunity to serve in those different levels. So that's how I first became involved. When were you first elected to a GFWC international office and what was that position? Oh, I was first elected to the recording secretary. In order to run for GFWC office, you had to be endorsed by your state federation. And I received the endorsement of recording secretary. I did not want to serve as treasurer, but I started out as recording secretary and ran for office when the convention was held in Denver, Colorado. And it was such a surprise that I was elected that we just got, all of our club women just got really excited over the fact that North Carolina had an officer on GFWC level. And so I served in the capacity of recording secretary in Mary Catherine Miller's administration. And that was my first office. Now, I understand there was something unusual that happened at that Pennsylvania convention. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, yes. Of course, each year you had to be endorsed by your state because the state knows more about your background and what you have done. And so I moved on to run for second vice president in Pennsylvania. And that was the bicentennial of the country. And I ran in that election and was defeated by 17 votes. So it was probably a really good thing that I was defeated in that one because by then it was really good that I was able to be at home uh, in Boonville for that two years. And then I was encouraged by Mayor Catherine Miller and also the president-elect of GFWC. Back then, it was not the president-elect, but she was first vice president. And I was encouraged by them to run again because I had been defeated by only 17 votes. And so I chose at that time to run for a first vice president. And the second vice president is the one that I was defeated. And they, their second vice president is serves over the state presidents. And the first vice president works with the department and division and committees. And so I served in that capacity. And then I was elected in Arizona to first vice president and had the opportunity to serve there, which was a great experience working with them. And then my next office would have been president-elect. And I had opposition every time I ran for every office that I 
until I got to be president-elect. And at that time, uh, of course, uh, fortunately, I had no opposition. So it gave me the opportunity to serve on GFWC level and to, to reflect and I think to reflect on the wonderful things that I've been able to do, the places I've been, the people that I have met, and the accomplishments that I have had. And I think uh, serving in that capacity. And I remember the uh, president, first vice president, Dottie Burkholder, told me that she had looked up Boonville, North Carolina, on in the Atlas, and she could not believe that I was a GFWC officer and moved up through the ranks. And from a little town with only 1,250 people, and I was from a little club of 30, pe- 30 club women, and she said she was totally shocked that I had done that. And I said, said, well, the 1,250 people in the town of Boonville, that was in the metropolitan area where we had a stoplight. And, uh, and so it was, I was very proud to serve North Carolina and to be from a, from a small club. But it shows that being a club woman, that uh, the great opportunities that you that each club member has, if she becomes really involved in her community and in each level of federation work, and the wonderful opportunities, the doors that are open for so for any club woman that wants to uh, move through the ranks and to serve this great organization. You got that right, Juanita, and I think it just shows that great leaders come from all shapes and sizes of towns. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you're a great leader, you're a great leader, period. That's wonderful. As you were moving up the ladder as an officer, what were some of the special memories that you remember? Did you have any interesting trips that you took? Oh, I did. I had, uh, I will talk about some of the things that I did moving up through the through the ranks, even serving as as the first vice president, the current president at that time, Mary Elizabeth Quint, was uh, invited to Russia, and she and two of her officers were invited to go to Russia, and so she chose that I would go with her and Jerry Winger, the second vice president, that the two of us would take the trip to Russia. So Jerry and I went, first of all, to Denmark, Copenhagen, and visited there with some of them as we launched our trip into Moscow. And we met Mary Elizabeth there and went into Moscow. And we were invited by the Soviet Women's Committee. And it was a wonderful trip. We went all over uh, Moscow, met with the Soviet Women's Committee, and the had the opportunity to, uh, I know, I remember when we were in the hotel the first night we were there, there was a young woman from 
Birmingham, Alabama, that was teaching English in in Moscow. And she came screaming down the hall and said, I hear a Southern voice, and I want to see who it is. And so she told us later in privacy to be sure and not say anything at all while we were in our rooms in the hotel because we were being recording, recorded by everything that we said. And so we talked about all these things about having babies and and everything, all women's thing we never did. We were very, very careful, but we had a guide that had us all over Moscow. But then the Soviet Women's Committee wanted to take us on an overnight trip on the train to go to what was then Leningrad, and it took us overnight to go. And so we made that trip with the members of the Soviet Women's Committee and arrived early in the morning. And of course, it's St. Petersburg now. But we went all over and saw the wonderful different things that they have, not only in Moscow, but in what was then Leningrad. And so it was an experience of a lifetime to be able to do that. Another thing that that I did while I was moving up through the ranks, I was invited to a luncheon when President Reagan chose Sandra Day O'Connor to go the first woman on the Supreme Court. And I was invited to a luncheon when I was president-elect. And I was seated at a table with the only four female federal judges in the United States. And I was really proud that I was president-elect. And I told one of them, I said, I'm the president-elect of the General Federation of Women's Clubs. And she said, oh, you're that organization that still, that I get your magazine and you still go, go by your husband's names. And I said, I said, you may be sure. She said, I just put your magazine in the trash can. And I said, I can assure you that when I'm president of this organization, we will go by our given names. We will not go by our husband's names. So one of the first things that I did when I did go into office was tell my my staff, my executive committee and my board members that we will all go by our our given names. We would not go by our husband's names. I think it was a shock to the club women, but they pretty soon got used to it. And I am so thankful that it has continued on today that that we never go back to that because our women are accomplished on their own, not because they're married to someone and go by their name. And a lot of them on the board of directors, as I moved up, I did not even know what their first name was. They were just Mrs. So-and-so. 
like Mrs. Frank Bryant or whatever. So I am so glad that that has continued during the years and that we have moved forward uh, with that. And we thank you for that too, Juanita. <laughs> yeah, I heard that had changed years ago, so I did not realize it was under under your leadership. So that's good to know. Um, so you were installed as GFWC International President in June of 1982. I can only imagine how excited you were to have that happen for you. Will you tell us about those memories? Well, uh, even as president-elect, I wanted to create a logo, and that is when I did the, I got a young, a young art student from East Carolina University that I explained to him what I wanted on the logo, to do the v volunteer logo, and I explained to him uh, what I wanted, and he did about four or five uh, different different ones for me to choose from, and I chose the the one that has remained, and we have used that over the years. Along the line, uh, it was sort of, even though I presented it to my executive committee, they all approved it, and they really liked the logo and what the organization stands for. They did a recommendation that we presented to convention to adopt. So when my first convention in Orlando, it was one of the recommendations of the executive committee that the that it be the logo be adopted. Now of course we have the emblem and it is so totally different from a logo to have the emblem, just like the presidential emblem and the governor of North Carolina hit the emblem and it is totally different from the logo. So we presented that as a recommendation from the executive committee and it was adopted in convention assembled and my parliamentarian always told me that it could not be undone unless it went back to the uh, convention, and they rescinded that as the a logo. And so some of the club women have used it over the years, but it, it really, along the line, we just started using the emblem, and the logo has really gone by the wayside. But I created that as well. And then one of the other big things that we did was uh, launch the figurines. We had four Gerbil figurines that we did. Mine was the first one, and they were dressed in uh, outfits of the time and representing the 25, each 25 years moving up to the 100th anniversary of GFWC. So each one of the presidents, the third three following me, had to approve. Mine was the first one, and then Jerry Wingers was the next, and Phyllis Roberts, and then Alice Donahue. We adopted those and the figurines have been really popular over the years, not only as a, f a 
fundraiser. But in addition to that, they have represented what we wore during those different years. And that has made them very symbolic leading up to the 100th anniversary of GFWC. And I have all four of those figurines, I'm proud to say. I love them. So they're very very pretty. I'm thank, I thank you for doing that. <laughs> they are <laughs> well, great. <laughs> they, they, they've been very popular, yeah. not only with the club women, but with the clubs. And so many of them have have purchased those and uh, enjoyed them during the years. And I'm really glad of that. They are really pretty. So thank you for doing that. Um, each administration has projects and programs that are shared and implemented with all the states and the clubs. Your administration had so many programs. What are some that you felt were the most impactful for the Federation? Well, f- fortunately, I think the, not only the Federation, but I had a great rapport with the corporate section, so many of them. And they were always so impressed with the fact that we were so, the Federation is so strong at the grassroots level and uh, that we have clubs in all, all over the United States and, and as well as abroad, that we're international, but our strength at the grassroots level has always impressed the corporate sector so much. So it gave me the opportunity to have a great rapport with many of them, and, and they certainly opened doors for me. I did a program with Procter & Gamble. It was the Free Enterprise Program, and I'll talk more about that later. But then uh, I did one with the American Bankers Association that did financial management for women, and, and they came to my first board meeting, and I had Jeannie Robertson from North Carolina as one of my speakers, as well as uh, some of the others, but the American Bankers Association were so impressed with her that they sort of helped to launch her career, and because they used her at all of their state meetings all over the United States. And that certainly opened doors for Jenny, and we had a great relationship all all the time after that. And then, in addition to that, I did a program with Chevron, and they did a leadership development for women program. And I had uh, Dr. Jack McCall, who was not only a professor at NC State University, but he also did professional training for organizations in leadership development. So he... uh, He was one of my speakers, and our representative from Chevron, uh, Mary Emery, heard him speak and how great he was, and she gave gave me a grant that sent him to... with me to each one of my region conferences across the United States, to each one of them, and so that he could be the speaker for each region as we as they had their regional regional meetings. So I had a 
great program we shall all accompany in conservation. That was one of the one of the main things that we did. Then the MS organization, uh, multiple sclerosis was one of my favorite projects, and I guess because. One of my very best friends in the Boonville Woman's Club was stricken with MS. So I certainly wanted to promote that program. And that is where I met, had the opportunity to meet Frank Sinatra because he invited me to go to Houston to give him the Volunteer of the Year Award. And he told me that he would match every dollar that the club women gave to the MS program, and which he did. So that's how I met. And then my grandchildren, they just think that's the greatest thing that I ever, ever did was meet Frank Sinatra. In fact, my granddaughter put it on Facebook that her nanny knew Frank Sinatra, and just like I was a personal friend of his, but it did give me the opportunity to meet him and work with him, and that was great. And then uh, the, the Special Olympics was also an outstanding project that I, uh, that I had that the club women worked with. As a result of that, I was invited to, to the home of Eunice Shriver, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, and Sergeant Shriver. I think I was invited there at two different times, once for a reception and then another time for a sit-down dinner that uh, she had a great big board there that you found your table where you were to sit in in their home and who your dinner partner would be. And mine was Roger Mudd, who was a great newscaster at that time, and he was my dinner partner at that event. And so then, as a result of that, I did go to a number of the state organizations that were doing Special Olympics. And then Eunice Shriver invited me to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when they did the International Olympics for Special Olympics. And that was really exciting to see all of them and the things that they did. And then I stayed in the hotel with some of the big with uh, like the Shrivers and, and the Kennedys and all that when we went to the Special Olympics. Let's see, uh, I just had so many, as I said, so many good outstanding projects that we did that the Federation is like a, a smorgasbord. We have the great opportunity of choosing the things that we want that our club women are interested in. It's not like some of the other women's organizations that they just focus on one thing. We have a 
a number of things, and then you pick and choose what you would like for your club to do and how you can make an impact in your community. And it is just a a wonderful organization, and I think I have probably uh, touched on all of the, the those that are were really really special projects. I do want to to elaborate on my on working with care because they the uh, past state junior director of California joined CARE as their fundraiser. And so I had a program with CARE called Women Helping Women. And so Bonnie had CARE to the two of us to take what we call the CARE trip. I called it my incredible journey because we went to, uh, she wanted us to visit all of our projects that we did in other countries. And so Bonnie, the two of us, took this trip that was a trip of a lifetime. I left Washington and had to go to Toronto first because I went up there to plan my board meeting that I was going to have. I wanted to have one outside the United States since we were an international organization. So I had to go. I had that plan in plan and went to Toronto. And then I had to go from there to Vancouver because I was had told them I would be the speaker for the MS convention that they were having. So idealistically, I could have left there and taken the the trip starting with care. But I had also told one of the past GFWC presidents, Carolyn Pierce, was having the big anniversary of her club in Miami, Florida. And I had promised that I would be the speaker for their con- for their big convention. And so I had to fly from Vancouver to Miami, Florida, and then I left there and went flew to San Francisco where Bonnie and I joined together to take the care trip. We joined each other in San Francisco. Then we went from there to visit, first of all, with our club women in Hawaii because we were in all 50 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico in addition to the international countries that we were involved in. And so we met with the club women in Hawaii, and then we went from there to Guam. And on the plane to Guam, people would ask me, why in the world are you going to Guam? And I said, well, because they have invited me to come as one, they have an a club on a club there, and they wanted me to come and uh, to join their club, and so that's where I met Madeline Bordello, who later became Congresswoman, and we've had a special uh, relationship for all of these years because her husband was running for governor 
of Guam. And we went all over that island politicking as he was running for governor. And I got to not only be there in the capital, but also to get in the all the outskirts, in the, all the areas, in the different ones, because we went with, with them all over Guam. And then we left Guam and went to the Philippines, and we had a, a wonderful program there. I've never seen so many people in all my life as I saw in the Philippines. People, they had buses, and people would just hang on the sides of the buses and hang on the top, and you could hardly move in Manila for all the people that were there. But we had a really good program called uh, the Women's Duck Project, and we furnished ducks for the women to have an income and they would sell the eggs, the duck eggs, and so went into their home and uh, dirt floors, uh, just you wouldn't believe how they lived. And then they were going to take me to one of the schools and I was going up the street and looked and all the children were following me. It was like the Pied Piper as we were going up through there. And But this was a really good project. But they want everywhere they would want to feed me. And I ate everything that they wanted in different countries. I couldn't believe all the food that I, different things that I ate. But anyway, the trip to the Philippines and Julianne Benedicto was the president of the organization. She owned the Holiday Inn in Manila. And then we were in the hotel where General MacArthur had his headquarters during World War II that we were there, stayed in that hotel. And that was a great experience as well. But then we left the Philippines and went to South Korea. We had a great lots of club women in South Korea. And so I spoke at their, what was their state convention. And it was the first and only time that I've ever had to have an interpreter and a young Korean guy that was a JC, and he was the interpreter, and I'd have to talk and then stop, and then he would tell them what I said. And a lot of times they would just laugh, and I'd think, well, I don't know anything I said that was so funny, but but anyway, it was quite an experience. But then another thing, we were invited to have dinner at Mrs. Peon's home, who was the president of the Federation, and the tables were down on the floor. And so I had to put my legs under that table, and Bonnie could not get hers under there. She just had a terrible time trying to get her legs under that table that was on the floor. And but one of the really exciting things that they did for me was take me to the DMZ line. 
We rode in. I had to hold on like everything in the car with the driver going to the DMC line. And they had already told me ahead of time not to make any kind of gesture or anything when I got there because the North Koreans would know somebody, quote, really important. So just to make not make any gesture whatsoever. So they, when we got there, then there was, and I know you've seen it on television because I've seen it any number of times, but they have a long table that divides South Korea from North Korea. You looked in the windows and all the military, you could see them, the North Korean military standing at all the windows. And so they told me that if I walked around the, uh, the table on the other side, that I would be in North Korea. And then back around here, I'd be in South Korea. And so I just, I went right around there. I walked around the table in North Korea, but I got back as quickly as I could into South Korea because I sure did not want to stay over there. And then another thing that they did that I was impressed with so much is they had a wreath laying a service for me to lay a wreath at the tomb of President and Mrs. Park. And so I walked up this long walkway into the cemetery, and they had the military on each side of it. And I got up there to where the tomb was, and I laid the wreath like she told me to, and she was right, Mrs. Peon was right beside me. Then she hit me and said, now you pray. And I bowed my head, and indeed I did. (laughs) But that was just, and they gave me the, while I was there, they gave me the replica of the crown jewels of Korea and South Korea. I still have that as as one of my really special uh, objects that I have that's so special to me. And then we left there and went, first of all, to Bangkok, Thailand, where we had programs there. So we met with all with all of them and the different clubs there that we did programs uh, with women helping women and in Bangkok, and then went to Dhaka, Bangladesh, and that was quite an experience as well. It was the first time I had ever gone to, gotten off of a plane, and all the military were there with guns and everything in the airport, and it was like it was under martial law. So then when they were taking me to one of the programs, then they had me to get out of the car, and all of these People just swarmed around me, and it scared me. I think that's the first time I really was scared, but it scared me. And they said, no, they're not going to do anything. They just have not seen a fair skin 
blonde-headed person, and they just want to see you and touch you, and but they're not going to hurt you. And so that was really an experience to be there in uh, Dhaka, Bangladesh. And uh, went from there to India and flew into Calcutta. And for the first time in my life, that they had what they call path people, and that's what we call our homeless here. But I had never seen homeless people before. We did not have that time. We did not have them here in the United States like they, and they called them path people. And I was in Calcutta and went from there to Madras where we had a program Uh, in a school where we taught young women how to cook and sew and do all the the, uh, necessary things that they would have to know about to be successful. And then we went to Trivandrum, the lower part of India, and then left there and went to New Delhi, and that was really something to go to New Delhi. And then Bonnie left me and went to uh, in Trivandrum and was going to Indonesia. And I had to come back to the United States. So I ended up in uh, Bombay, which now the time, uh, the name of that has changed. But I ended up there and I was getting to the, the Of course, the care people took me to the airport, and I was in line to get my boarding pass and whatever to fly out. And one of the Indian guys came up with his turban on and just pushed me out of the way. And so this gentleman from Ohio, a businessman from Ohio, just, he said, don't you push her, and uh, he just got involved in it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to create a national disaster here, but anyway, he was able to convince the guy that, and he told, the businessman told me, said, he looks at you as less than a dog. Anyway, he sort of took me under his wing, and sort of looked after me the rest of the trip all the way home. And uh, we stopped in Saudi Arabia, and they told me that if I wanted to get off the plane, that I could just to say that I could, that I had been in Saudi Arabia. So I did get off. So and put my feet on the ground so that I could say that I had been there. Then we, I left there and flew to London and was there, visited with the club women in London before I flew back to Washington by myself. And when I landed in Washington, I thought it was the most beautiful sight I had ever seen in my life to see the... Washington Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial and and everything in our beautiful capital of Washington, D.C. And I just thought it was the most beautiful thing in the world. And so this concludes my care trip 
that I made, and it was just an experience of a lifetime, and I certainly always called it my incredible journey, and it was indeed. And then I'll tell you about my program with Procter & Gamble, because they uh, did the free enterprise program with them. One of my dreams was to establish the Women's History and Resource Center uh, adjacent to our headquarters. And we owned the building, the 1728 building, but it was in total disarray, and it was not connected to our main headquarters, but it was, uh, so you had to go outside and go outdoors and go back into the other one, and the only thing we used that building for, because it was so damaged, was that the material center was down there, and we used it for storage. So I wanted to establish the Women's History and Resource Center there. I knew that I did not want it to be a library. I wanted a library to be part of it, but I did not want that to be what it was. I wanted it to be the documentation of the volunteer movement in the not only in the United States, but around the world, and what volunteers could do. And so that was my dream of establishing that. And so I met with Jerry Gendell of Procter & Gamble, and I told him what my dream was and what I wanted to do and how we had the building, but it needed totally renovating, renovated And so he told me that he would give me $50,000, which was a lot of money back then, and that he would give me that if the club women would match it. And so he gave it, he did indeed, and we were able to renovate the building. Uh, We had to connect the two, and we had to get special permission to connect the two buildings. But anyway, I've got pictures of, of how, how we did connect the two of them. And then all that we did to establish the Women's History and Resource Center and North Carolina was really, really good. Of course, you know how Point and, and Thomasville are the uh, furniture capitals of the world. Not only are the not only United States, but the world. People come there to buy furniture from everywhere, and they were really good, not only about donating furniture for the building, but then we had a great report in North Carolina with the North Carolina Truckers Association, and they volunteered to move everything up there for me free of charge, and they just pulled up the big trucking thing and brought out the furniture, and people took pictures of it, and 
we were able to furnish uh, the building. And then uh, Molly Johnson, who was up there with former president of North Carolina Federation, was up there with me as, as my executive assistant. And her family, were, they were very involved in the furniture industry. And her sister-in-law was an interior decorator. She decorated all. Meredith College and a lot of things. She came up there, volunteered her time to decorate everything, and the club women just really rallied in order to give things to the Women's History and Resource Center. And then the greatest thing was when I got ready, I planned for the opening to be in May before I went out of office. So I was out in Las Vegas planning my convention out there, and the staff called me and told me that there was just no way that we could be ready for the official opening of WHRC. And I said, I can tell you one thing, we are going to have it, and it is going to be in May, and so you might as well set your mind to it, because that is what we're going to do. And so I had had President, Vice President Bush as one of my convention speakers in my first convention in Orlando, Florida. So I wanted him to come for the ribbon cutting for to open WHRC. And so he did, in fact, come and did the official ribbon cutting to open the Women's History and Resource Center. And I hope if there's anything that will be my legacy, that that will be it because I think it is so important that we document all the volunteer work that club women have done all over this country and all over the world. And I am so proud of that project. I don't know what to do, but it was the official opening of it. And all of the female appointees that President Reagan had made, they were all in attendance at the opening. In addition to that, House Speaker Jim Wright of Texas was a guest there, and Lindy Boggs, a congresswoman, was there for that. And then I had established a great rapport with Sarah Weddington that argued Roe versus Wade before the Supreme Court, and uh, and she was there in attendance, and we just had lots of of uh, really outstanding people that attended the opening of it, and later I had uh, a reception for Elizabeth Doe. She was originally, of course, from North Carolina, from Salisbury, and when President. Reagan appointed her as Secretary of Transportation, uh, gave a reception for her at headquarters, and and all of President Reagan's, uh, the majority of them, and I think about all of them, cabinet secretaries attended that at headquarters. So I am so proud of all the people that have attended our headquarters and have seen what a fabulous 
place it is and uh, how proud we are of it. But I gave that reception for her as well as uh, honoring her and and she and I was at the White House any number of times, twice specifically that I remember that I was in the Oval Office with President Reagan. Uh, First of all, as a result of the Free Enterprise Program, he appointed me to the task force on balancing the federal budget, and I was there for that. Then the MS uh, Society people had a, they were there, and I attended in the Oval Office with him. The uh, board members would always be invited to a reception in the White House following their board meeting, and we were received by the First Lady, and I think maybe the last one that we had was with, uh, we we did Lady Bird Johnson, and then we did one more after that one that we were invited to do that that we did and the and the federation officers were always invited to the national prayer breakfast and had a reserve table that we always were invited to that national prayer breakfast and it was a real special event for them i just cannot tell you how how wonderful it, it is to be a club woman and for the opportunities that you have and the things that you can do and the things that you can accomplish. And I went back and said, being from a small town and a small club, that just the fact that you are a federated club woman, it opens doors for many, many things, and it's opened doors for me. And later we'll talk about how it opened doors on the state level for me and how I have become involved there. And I wouldn't take anything in the world for the experience that I have had. And you have had a lot of experiences, Juanita. I am amazed. I do have one I wanted to ask you about. I know you have so many that you wanted to share, but I heard somewhere that you rode on the president's plane to Cape Canaveral. Could you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. That was one of my most memorable things is that when Sally Ride was launched into space, I was invited uh, by the president to fly on one of the presidential planes along with the president of AAUW and BPW were the three national organizations that they invited to fly to Orlando and and uh, have the opportunity to launch Sally Ride, the first woman to go into space and to be there and it was just a thrill of a lifetime and not only to fly on one of the president's planes but just the fact that we were there and saw that a great event historical event and as a result of that we had a number uh, they brought brought those astronauts back to D.C., and there were a number of receptions for them, and I was always included in that and went to each one of them and have great, 
great memories of that and great pictures of of that and that was that was one that was one of the highlights of my administration was being invited in and doing that. Now you've had a lot of great experiences. Did you have any regrets or anything that you did not get to do while you were in office? Yes. Uh, I had planned, I told you about the care trip, and then I had planned my presidential trip to go to the Orient, to Southeast Asia, and to, that that would be my presidential trip. And so, in the meantime, when I had all these club women that were going to join me on this trip, and I got an invitation uh, from Iraq to for me and two of my officers to visit Iraq. So I could, certainly could not go because I had had all these club women that had paid to go on this trip with me, and I had to do it. And so I had to choose uh, three of my officers to go, and I chose uh, the president-elect, first vice president, and the treasurer were able to go. And they went on this trip to Iraq, and it was unbelievable to hear them talk about. Uh, but they told these wonderful things and how gorgeous Iraq was and all of it, marble buildings and just absolutely gorgeous. That was my biggest regret, that I could not take that trip because I really, really wanted to. Well, I hate to hear that. <laughs> but at least there was just one regret, so that wasn't too bad. But you you just a, can't do everything. <laughs> yeah, you can. You have a lot of accomplishments over the over two years, and I'm sure you were very pleased with, with your term. But Well, thank you, Juanita, for taking the time to share with us some of your accomplishments and experiences leading up to and while you were GFWC International President and living in GFWC headquarters in Washington, D.C. Not many can say they have met with a president in the Oval Office or that they've met Frank Sinatra. (laughs) You certainly have had a colorful life filled with many treasured memories, and now each of us will remember and enjoy these for years to come. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Okay, thank you, Kim. Women Volunteers is a podcast by Kelly Paul for GFWCNC. If you're interested in learning more about the General Federation of Women's Clubs of North Carolina and how you can join these amazing women in improving our communities, please visit us on the web at gfwcnc.org.